0: We're in Numbers chapter 20 this morning. The book of Numbers is the fifth book in the Bible. If you're not sure where that is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the book of Numbers, actually the fourth fourth book in the Bible. Then comes Deuteronomy. These are the five books of Moses, and we're in Numbers chapter 20. I want to speak with you today on a subject that's technically an oxymoron, and that is what it means to be a successful failure. Most all of us at one time or another will be haunted by the question, has my life been successful? Have I had a profitable, productive life? Am I a personal success? Have I done well? There's a very poignant scene at the end of the movie, Saving Private Ryan, where an elderly Private Ryan, the one that had fought uh, in D-Day, is now back in modern times visiting the graves at the American military cemetery. Uh, at Normandy, a place that I have been. It's one of the most moving places on planet Earth. And that man looks at his family at one point, particularly his wife, and he says these words, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me that I've made something of my life. And she has no idea where he's going. And of course, he knows that there were people, more than one, who died trying to save His life and to get him out of there. And he wanted to know that his life mattered, that his life had been significant, that he had lived up to the sacrifices that had been made by others to keep him alive. Success is one of those things that's pretty easy to confuse. In America, of course, it's a game that's measured by how much money you make, how quickly you can make it how far you rise in corporate structures and settings, how far you rise in the business world, how popular and influential uh, you become. And these are the standards of success by which most of us in this room are ultimately judged. Ten years ago this year, Time Magazine's Person of the Year was a man named Mark Zuckerberg who was the founder of Facebook. He was a 24-year-old billionaire at the time. The youngest billionaire in the world, now 10 years later at 34, still one of the youngest multi-billionaires in the world. And if you look at his life, most Americans today would certainly say that young man, without a doubt, is the face of success. And you know, when it comes to biblical characters, Moses, the great Old Testament leader of Israel, is one of the greatest success stories in all of the Bible. Jews revere him like no other Jew who has ever lived. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. I would say that makes the man a great success in the eyes of God. He wrote uh, not only the first five books of the Bible, he was a tremendous leader, led some two million people in an exodus out of Egyptian slavery. Moses had conversations face to face with God He received the Ten Commandments directly from God, written by the finger of God. Moses lived a long life, 120 years. I'm pretty sure I do not want to live to be 120 years old. I'm not even sure I want to live to be 90 years old. just depends on what kind of, if I can run 10 miles or not. I'm fine living to be 90. If not, I might have to second uh, second guess it. But he lived to be 120. Yet, when Moses near the end of his life the most critical point in his leadership as a battle-hardened battle-tested leader moses stumbled badly and it cost him dearly he pres- had produced a lifetime of measurable results but he ended his life as what some have called a successful failure So this morning, let's try to learn a few things from one of Moses' more critical moments, something about what real success is and what it's not. First thing we notice from this passage is that success is more than simply overcoming adversity. A lot of times we look at the measure of a person's life and see how much they've had to overcome, overcoming things like the Great Depression, world wars, uh, financial collapse, things of that nature. The Bible says here in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 20 that the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished, When our brothers perished before the Lord, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now, there's no question that one of the characteristics of successful people is this ability to overcome adversity. We're going to face adversity in life. The Christian life is, by biblical definition, a life of struggle. There are many things we have to overcome this side of heaven. And by that measure, Moses was clearly a successful person because in these verses, we see how Moses overcame any number of adverse circumstances in his daily leadership of Israel. For example, he overcame adverse memories Verse 1 tells us that the children of Israel came back to Kadesh. Kadesh was a bad place for the people of Israel. It was a place of bad memories for the nation as a whole. It was a place of great failure for the Hebrew people. You remember that some 38 years before this, this was the place, Kadesh, from which Moses sent out the 12 spies to go into the land. Kadesh is right there, just beyond the entry point to the promised land and from there 38 years prior to this moment they had sent spies out to spy the land and the majority report that came back was not good there are giants in the land and we appear as but grasshoppers in their sight and because that negativity spread throughout the congregation like wildfire uh, the majority bought into it and they were afraid to cross over. And because of their lack of faith and because of their lack of courage, you remember what happened? God cursed the people to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But now, here's Moses leading them on this circular pattern over 38 years out of the 40, and they end up right back to where they started from, even though it was a, bad, a place of bad memories for the leader named Moses. Moses. He overcame adverse memories. Moses also had to overcome adverse emotions. We're told that Miriam, the sister of Moses, dies here at Kadesh. This is the same uh, Miriam that put Moses into the basket and laid her little brother there among the reeds in the Nile River in order to save his life from genocide, the genocide ordered by the Pharaoh of Egypt. And she watched over him to make sure that he would be safe until the point he was claimed by the daughter of Pharaoh. This was the same Miriam who was the leading woman of the people of Israel throughout the wanderings in the wilderness. This is the same Miriam who stood beside her brother, supported his leadership and his ministry for 119 years of support and companionship. And here out into the desert, The sister of Moses dies and Moses has to, like so many of us, overcome the emotions that are attendant to this kind of personal loss in life. It's tough to get rid, uh, not to get rid, but to turn loose of those. Sometimes you have to get rid of them, but it's tough to turn loose of those that you love. But Moses was able to overcome Continue to lead the people of God. Moses also overcame adverse criticism, adverse criticism. As a leader, he was constantly faced with criticism. Most of you that know the story of Moses know that. Every leader who's le- ever led any group of people in any discipline, whatever that discipline uh, may be, understands this. I got an email this week from a pastor who'd indicated that he'd gotten two emails on the same day from two different members of his congregation. One of those members was criticizing him because he wasn't talking about racial reconciliation enough from the pulpit. The other member was criticizing him because he was talking too much about racial reconciliation from the pulpit, both of them communicating to their pastor that they thought it was time that they maybe find another church. Some things... You just can't win with, no matter what you do. And Moses' life is a testimony of that because he had people nipping at him in his leadership all the time. And yet, here again, Moses and his brother Aaron are criticized, as they had been any number of times, for lack of water in the camp. It was dry, it was hot. Life in the desert is usually that way. It's not a rose garden, and it's often very uncomfortable. And they wanted water. and So once again, they turn on Moses, and they argue with him, and they resented him. They were bitter, and they were ready to stone him. And if you go back to Numbers chapter 11, Moses had all he could take of it. And he himself was ready to check out. If I have found favor in your sight, he prays to God, kill me here and now, and do not let me see my wretchedness. For people of God, how soon they forget. They'd forgotten all of the powerful move of God in their life over the course of all these years. They'd forgotten about the 10 plagues. They'd forgotten about the Red Sea. They'd forgotten about the manna from heaven. They'd forgotten about the pillar of cloud that had led them by day and the pillar of fire that had led them by night. They'd forgotten about the gift of the law. They'd forgotten about the gift of the tabernacle, the place where the people could gather and have the symbolic presence of God right there in their midst where they could worship and celebrate the goodness and the glory of God. And because they had forgotten all of these wonderful grace gifts of God, they shook their hand toward heaven and toward their leadership and they indicted the mighty hand of God and they had criticized their God-given leaders And Moses was at the point where he would had enough stress in his life, he'd had stress that would blow the mind off of most people. Two million people, two million people in his flock that he's trying to lead, and he's having a hard time with it. Yet, time after time, he manages to overcome the adversities that would tend to overwhelm and totally cripple most people. The same is true for you and me. We all lead in different kinds of ways, in different contexts, but one thing that's common to all of us is that we have to overcome painful, bitter memories. We have to overcome painful, bitter circumstances, and we have to learn to keep moving joyfully in the will of God. Some of you here this morning have conquered emotional pain, conquered stress, live with stress on a daily basis. There are some people in this church that are living with stress, that I can hardly even imagine how they're living under the weight. And yet somehow they manage to maintain confidence. They manage to maintain courage in a God who they believe can do all things and can encourage them and lead them to the mountaintop yet again. And so this is Moses. He has to learn to overcome difficulty in his life. He has to learn to overcome adversity, and so do we all. That is a mark of great success, but it's not the only mark, because success is more than overcoming adversity. Not only that, success is more than simply seeking after God. Now, we can look at people who have sought the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and point to them and say, there goes surely a person who is a successful man or woman, But notice what the Bible says here in verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. Now let's stop there for just a moment because that's an important statement because what you see initially Moses doing is absolutely the right thing in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the uh, adversity that he's finding in the camp. There is no question that Moses does the right thing. He makes the proper response to this crisis in his life. The followers were moaning and groaning about the water. And what did the leadership do? They did the appropriate thing. The leaders sought the Lord, which is exactly what the people should have been doing. Moses sought the Lord together with his brother. They respond to the criticism in exactly the right way. They don't explode. They don't retaliate against the people, at least not yet. They headed straight to the tabernacle, this portable tent-like place of worship, and they fell on their faces before the Lord, which is always a wise response to criticism, always a wise response, ought to be the first response for all of God's people whenever they're facing difficult, challenging times. But just simply by doing that, does that guarantee that we'll live our life a successful person? What's interesting here is that the Bible says that not only did Moses seek God, The Scriptures also communicate that Moses saw the Lord. There at the tent of meeting, the Bible says, the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Just an awesome thing. This is one of the things that I most envy about the person called Moses. He has all of these theophany experiences with God. He has all of these appearances of God in his life. God shows up in some form of physical, tangible Way. He shows up early in the book of Exodus at the burning bush. He shows up halfway through the book of Exodus in fire and in smoke and in cloud. He shows up here in terms of his Shekinah glory there in the tabernacle. They had the wonderful privilege of being able to witness. The awesome, visible, light-filled radiance of the presence of God. Moses sought the Lord. Moses saw the Lord. Not only that, Moses heard from the Lord. God not only showed up visibly, God speaks to him audibly. A direct, practical word here in verse 8 to Moses. Take the staff, gather the assembly together speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. Now, wouldn't that just be a great thing? Don't you wish you could have an encounter with God just like that? I mean, to seek God with all your heart while in the midst of a crisis and then have the booming voice of God just explode right there in your bedroom or in your study or in church or wherever the case might be, to have God simply open up his mouth and respond to your situation with his own voice. I mean, if God were to do that to you and would give you that privilege of seeking him and in response to your seeking him, he shows up, makes himself aware visibly, makes himself aware audibly. I mean, if that happened, wouldn't you at least consider yourself a spiritual success? Because that kind of thing doesn't just happen. Every day, but a mountaintop give and take, even a mountaintop give and take with God, does not by itself bring success because even though Moses overcame tremendous adversity, even though Moses sought and saw the presence of God and heard the voice of God, Moses came to a critical moment in his life as the leader of Israel and fell flat on his face. And you know why? Because he failed to grasp what does make for real success, which in a word is simply this. Y'all still with me say amen. Obedience. See, it really doesn't matter. If you have a vision of God, or hear the voice of God, or experience both of them at the same time if you're not willing to do what God tells you to do. The question for the successful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is not so much what you see or what you hear, but what you do with what you see and what you hear. And that's why a third thing that we learn from this passage is that real success is measured in consistent obedience to God. You want to know how to be a success in the eyes of God? This is it. You learn to live in light of the obedience of faith. Your faith is an obedient faith. I love that phrase that Paul uses regularly in many of his letters, most importantly in his opening salvo in his letter to the Romans, where he reminds us that the gospel is given unto the obedience of faith. Not simple lip service belief, but to a faith that works, as James would say it. A faith that lives consistently in light of the holiness and in light of the presence of God. Real success is measured in consistent obedience to God. What did Moses do in response to this powerful meeting with God? Well, he tells us about it himself. He's the one who wrote the book of Numbers. And here's what he says in verse 9, writing in the third person historically, and Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now you rebels. And that's not necessarily a the most loving, warm, fuzzy way of addressing the situation. And so you know, I mean, just by reading that, if you read it carefully, you know that probably what's getting ready to happen next, if you read the tone into it, look here now, you rebels, that what's about to happen is probably not going to be altogether a God-honoring thing. And indeed it's not. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. and Water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Now, they're right there beside it. it. would take but a few minutes to cross into it. But God said, no. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. Now, the thing about Moses' response is he got one part right. The part he got right was that in his confusion as to what to do, he sought the Lord. He'd met with the Lord. He'd heard from the Lord. That part he got right, and we celebrate and champion that. The problem was he blew the second step. Many of you are very familiar with this story, Moses striking the rock and the water coming out and the people being refreshed. That's the grace of God. God. But Moses blew the second step. This is a mammoth failure in terms of execution, and it was problematic with God because remember, what had God instructed Moses to do in the meeting as a means of obtaining water out of the rock? He tells Moses to do what? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 17, it's almost a mirror situation where the people were crying out, and there's a rock, and we know water's going to come out of the rock. And you remember what God tells Moses to do back in Exodus chapter 17. Anybody remember what he tell him to do? Strike the rock. He told him back then to strike the rock. And the water would come out. And what did Moses do to get the water from the rock? He struck the rock. God says strike. Moses struck. Water came pouring forth. Here, God does it differently. God says speak. Speak to the rock once. Moses goes still hasn't properly dealt with his anger against the people for threatening to stone him when he'd done all this hard work for 38 years. And it comes out in his tone. And instead of speaking to the rock once, as God clearly told him to do, Moses struck the rock, not once, but twice with Aaron's rod. You say, now, why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because it was proud. It was self-centered. It was a means by which Moses was trying to express his anger that he otherwise was confused about how to express. This is an angry outburst against the people. And if you're wondering why it's a problem, it's a problem to God because Moses responds in the flesh rather than in the spirit of obedience. God had very clearly told him what to do. And any time you hear the voice of God, get your marching orders from God, understand the will of God, but then go out and start to execute it in the flesh rather than in the spirit, that's never going to bring about the glory of God. It'll always call attention to you, and it will always call attention to me. And that's what was happening here. Moses was calling attention to himself. God just told him, speak to that. Don't do anything. Just stand there and speak to it. I, I don't know what he told him to say to it. Water. Open up. Come forth. Who knows? It really doesn't matter what he told him to speak. He told him to speak. Simple enough but he strikes it and he strikes it again. The end result was it comes across to the people as if Moses had done something by himself, by his own strength, by his own power. Proud display. Done in a way that could confuse the people. So in that sense, Moses had done something that had put himself in the position where the people could glorify him rather than glorifying God. No human being could have ever spoken to the rock and have water come forth. That would have been an obvious demonstration of the power of God. But what Moses does here calls attention to himself more so than casting attention to God. The interesting thing about it is, even though he was disobedient, still got results. So from an external point of view, Moses appears to be successful even here to those that witness what happened because he acts like leaders are supposed to act. He acts with authority and he acts with conviction and he's a man of action and he produces. Water comes gushing out of the rock. Moses probably got a bonus after that. And yet from God's point of view, it was an act of failure. People couldn't see that. It's transparent to them. They just wanted their bellies filled. They got what they wanted. They couldn't have cared less. But God makes it perfectly clear that He saw it and that He was displeased with the response of His man. Verse 12 The Lord said to Moses, interesting words. He doesn't say because you did not obey me. He says because you did not believe me. And it takes it to a whole different level, doesn't it? Because you didn't trust me. Because you didn't have faith in me. You had no interest in upholding me as holy. In the eyes of the people of Israel, you made this about you, not about me. And because you have no higher view of the God you proclaim than that, there will be consequences. You shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Were y'all here last Sunday? You remember I made a statement last Sunday that I was pretty sure that everybody in the room, including the preacher, was underestimating the holiness of God. And so did Moses. And God all but says it. This is a prime example where you ought to be careful that you never do that because with this one act of disobedience, this one incident of failure, Moses would lead the people of Israel for 40 years, but he would not enter the land that God had promised him for two years until the day he died. And I've been to the place where Moses is buried. Not the exact spot, because we don't know where that is, but high up on Nebo, you can look out And you can see the city of Jordan right there from the very place that Moses died. You can see it to this day, and Moses could see it with his eyes. But because of what happens right here, he would never set foot on that soil. And I mean for years, even to this day, as a 100-year-old preacher that I am this morning, I read that and I'm thinking, oh, that is so severe. I mean, you take a lifetime worth of work, and surely just striking a rock is, you know, in the whole scheme of things. Moses never worshipped a pagan idol. He never erected a pagan idol. I mean, this is... From what we can read of the life of Moses, this is the significant act of disobedience. Read his record and find me another one. But all it takes is one. Now, I'm not diminishing Moses. I'm a fan of Moses, love Moses. Not a person in the room feel equal to Moses or ever will for that matter. But I do think that it's interesting that God in his sovereignty places this passage of Scripture in the Bible, and Moses is the one that's writing it, and he does it for a reason because he wants us to understand that Moses is not Charlton Heston, amen. He's not perfect. He's flawed. And he wants to teach us something vitally important about Christian discipleship, about following the Lord, and about Christian leadership, namely that real success is measured one way and one way only by consistent obedience to God. Now for us, we talk about success, let me just go on the line and move us a little bit further down the road because I would say that for us today, Just mark it down. There is no success apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the true measure of success in God's eyes. And I'm thankful today, aren't you, that even though I'm not going to always get it right and there'll be times in my life where I know God probably wants me to go another direction and I'll run from that like the plague and I'll live with disobedience, but isn't it wonderful to know that because of the eternal presence of Jesus Christ, I may not experience What I could have experienced this side of heaven and there may be consequences to my inconsistent obedience but isn't it wonderful to know that because I've gotten the main thing and made it the main thing that with the presence of Jesus Christ in my life I'll never lose my status in the presence of God as a child of God. I've overcome the world, not in the flesh but with the person of Jesus Christ residing within me. So any real success in this preacher's life, any real success in your life, can only be measured by the presence of Jesus Christ living within you. The Apostle Paul says 2 Corinthians 5, so we make it our goal to please Him, to please Christ, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. And that always means the first step of success is to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, turn from your sinful condition, submit to the Lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ, and decide that life's highest priority is to glorify God consistently by obeying Him with your life. Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but lose his own soul? You can duplicate the financial success of a Mark Zuckerberg and I wish people at our church would have that God would grace them with that kind of financial success and that they would turn around and tithe in the name of Christ amen but you can have it you can make it you can have the political success of a Lyndon Johnson you can have the athletic success of Tiger Woods none of that matters Because if you live your life apart from God's plan for your life, measured in the gospel of Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him, you will live and die having found that you'd leaned your ladder against the wrong wall. You'll live and die. Successful in the eyes of the world, but a failure to God. You'll live and die a successful failure. I may not always live up to it, but the goal of my life couldn't be more simple Trust God, follow Jesus, and obey His Word that I might glorify the Lord with every decision that I make. This is the will of God that comes from the Word of God and all God's people said.